Hi, everybody. It's great to be with you. My name is Ashley Matthews. I'm the associate lead pastor here at Trinity. Uh, excited to get to spend some time together in the Bible today as we are wrapping up the Easter season around here. If you have Bibles, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 20. We'll read together, pray, and see what the Lord has for us. This is Revelation 20, starting in verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit and locked and sealed it over him so that he would deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be let out for a little while. And then I saw thrones, and those seated on them were given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony to Jesus and for the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him a thousand years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, uh, Lord, this, um, this word, this text, in so many ways, God seems and feels no doubt foreign to many of us. Strange, Lord. And for some of us, maybe even impossibly hard to know what to do with, to even imagine, Lord, how it might speak to where we are, to what's happening in our lives now. But you know better, Lord. You knew better then and you know better now. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do. Will you give us the peace that we need in both our minds and hearts to listen, Lord. Give us ears to hear you, Jesus, and hearts to receive you, Lord. Thank you, God, for the gift of the Bible for John, our brother, um, and for today and all that you intend to do in us. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. This is a strange one, y'all, and a really important, I believe, um, part of the Bible. For the last number of weeks throughout the season of Easter, we've been preaching through the book of Revelation as a way of reminding ourselves that these revelations that John received, which he did, in fact, as a real person receive way back in the first century, they came to him and to the church through him as a way of saying that the better we understand spiritual realities and what God is actually doing uh, all around us, even what we can't see and maybe don't understand, the more we do understand, comprehend, and try to peer into those things, um, the more equipped we are for the life that we lead in the world now, our everyday lives. These things that we are reading about and teaching about, ultimate things, spiritual things, they do shape your life, your real life uh, today. And as strange as this text may seem, as foreign as it may sound in so many ways, I believe with all my heart that it is for you, that the Lord has uh, something that he very much wants to say to you and to me through it. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to just kind of back up and look at the, the vision together, uh, make sure we understand what's happening, uh, and then see what God has for us. Uh, so John's describing a vision 
that he has, as he's had a number of at this point throughout the book. And he's using symbolic imagery again here, as he has been doing, to describe uh, what he sees. This is what happens. John sees an angel. uh, And this angel is coming from heaven carrying a key and a giant chain with which he seizes Satan and then locks him up and, we're told, uh, binds him, keeps him sealed in prison uh, for a thousand years. Uh, At which point, the faithful followers of Jesus are said to come to life and to reign with Jesus uh, in the earth for these thousand years. That's a lot. Uh, What a strange text. Wild stuff. Um, And I I think, again, uh, actually really, really important. I also just want to say at this point, this is probably one of the most debated, controversial parts of our entire Bible. So you're probably not going to agree with um, everything that I would have to say, or maybe even that anyone uh, would have to say about this passage. Uh, But here's what we all can agree on, I hope in Jesus' name, uh, is that regardless of where you land with respect to how you understand what's happening in this vision, uh, we, the church, we agree that Jesus wins. Really, I believe, ultimately, that's what John's trying to get us to hear. Uh, So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about Satan and the reality of evil, which we can't escape either in this passage or in any of John's writing. Uh, And then I want to talk about this thousand years business. What on earth is John talking about and what does this mean for us? Uh, So according to the Bible, uh, and uh, most importantly, maybe as importantly, even according to every devout Christian who's ever lived then and now, uh, we have a very real enemy who is y'all literally hell-bent on opposing the redemptive purposes of God in your life, in the world around us, in every way that he can. Uh, He would love for you uh, to roll your eyes at that statement. And I think it's important to acknowledge the whole reality of evil, particularly a spiritual being, spiritual realities are really hard for some of us even to begin to wrap our minds around. But there's just no escaping it in the Bible, either in this text or uh, in any other. Satan is here presented to John as very real, And the further we get away from that, I think the happier he becomes. He would really love for all of us to believe ourselves too sophisticated to imagine that he exists. Really, he is not a cartoon. That is not how he's portrayed in the Bible. It's certainly not how he's portrayed here in John's vision. He is a spiritual force who influences real people, real ideas, real systems of government. Like the Roman Empire, the one in which John found himself. Uh, and other empires, other systems that many of us experience and find ourselves in. And he's at work through these things, these people, these ideas, these systems, to oppose God's purposes in my life, in yours, and in the world around us. That's the story when it comes to evil and to Satan himself, uh, told over and over again in the Bible. That being said, it is important uh, to say the reason that we're taking even time to talk about this is because... Um, You need to know, I need to know, the person who does not think like you, believe like you, uh, vote like you, or pray like you, is not your enemy. Even though sometimes, I mean, that's the way it feels on the surface of things. The whole point of John's revelation, and over and over again in the Bible, we're reminded that we do, in fact, have an enemy. And that enemy does, can, is influencing the people around me and me. But those people are not, in fact, my enemy. Things like your hatred 
uh, racism, nationalism, moral relativism, these things are real evils at work in the world, things through which our enemy delights, takes great pleasure in. According to Revelation, they are like the fruits, the work of demonic rebellion. It's not just like bad or unfortunate things uh, that happen. We, in fact, have an adversary who creates and works uh, through these things for the purposes of division and undermining the work of God uh, in the world. And until we stop like pointing our fingers at each other, thinking that you're the problem or he's the problem or so-and-so's the problem, um, and begin to name our real enemy, we're just going to continue to do exactly what he would have us to do, be exactly where he would have us to be, which is angry, overwhelmed, uh, anxious, and for so many of us, like spiritually indifferent. And we don't really understand why we think it's somebody else's fault or someone else's problem. And there could be a number of reasons that you feel that way. The Bible wants to be really clear. The battle that we wage is not against flesh and blood. We have a spiritual adversary. Imagine you know, if we could channel all of that frustration, all of that anger, all that anxiety into prayer. How effective that we would be for his kingdom. Imagine if I could take all of and the fear that I feel or the frustration and channel that into love for my neighbor, which is exactly what we are encouraged to do. When I feel, those, feel that way or experience those things, can I pay attention to what's happening and do I know where to direct what I'm feeling, how to deal with it? Um, not if I'm not able to name the fact that I have an enemy. So Satan is very real and according to uh, this text, he is also a very defeated He's been bound and locked up, John tells us in this vision. And so uh, here's the part where I want you to stay with me. In chapter 19, so in the chapter immediately before the passage that we read, uh, John sees a vision of Jesus. Jesus has formally in the book appeared to us, to the reader, as a lamb who was slain. He appears now here in chapter 19 uh, very differently. He's now a warrior. He's riding a white horse. He's wearing a crown. He has on a white robe that's been splattered with blood. And we're men, according to the text, to assume that Jesus is, along with his armies, preparing for a great battle. This is going to be, um, we expect, the showdown of good and evil, the final a battle, as it were. It's an incredible scene. I wish we had more time to talk about it. But a couple of really interesting things stand out in that text that I think apply to the one that we just read. And the first is this. Uh, Jesus appears bloodied in the passage before the battle ever happens. So I think we're meant to ask the question, whose blood is it then? And then secondly, you never actually see any fighting take place. Uh, they all get there. Um, you think there's going to be a battle, but then Satan's minions are just captured and destroyed. There never really is a battle. So we're left wondering what happened. And then immediately in chapter 20, Satan's bound, chained up, and then sealed away uh, in prison. I think what's happening um, in this, in this passage, both in chapter 20 and in 19, is that what John is trying to get us to say, and for the careful reader, this is pretty obvious at this point, 
is that any time that Jesus appears with blood on him, we're meant to understand that that blood is in fact his own. That Jesus has already, through his work on the cross, gone to battle on our behalf. John's been trying to make this point over and over and over again. The battle has been fought and it has been won. Jesus has secured already the victory. And he has, in so doing, gained the keys. That's sort of the point. Remember at the beginning of Revelation, Jesus says in chapter 1, I am alive. I am the first and the last and I live. And I have the keys to death and Hades. So we sort of see um, that play out in the rest of the book. Jesus appears as the victor already having gone uh, to battle in chapter 19. And then here in chapter 20, what I believe that John is trying to describe for us in this passage is that it is at that point when Jesus gains the keys to death in Hades that according to Christian faith, Satan has been at that point bound. Jesus has gained victory over him, defeated him, and to some degree, therefore, kind of like locked him up. Now, again, you don't have to agree with me, but I want you to stick with me for a moment because you may rightly be thinking, in what universe is Satan bound or locked up? He's clearly um, alive and well, and it's a fair point. But hear me out. In Mark's gospel, in chapter 3, there's this scene in which Jesus is being accused by the Pharisees. The Pharisees come to Jesus and they accuse him of being possessed by demons, which is really great. And Jesus says something super interesting in response. He says this, how can Satan cast out Satan? No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. So in other words, the Pharisees assume that the way that Jesus is able to perform all these miracles, heal all these people, is through the power of Satan. And then Jesus says in response to them, how could Satan drive out Satan? In other words, I'm not working for Satan. I'm binding him and plundering his house. Satan is the strong man that Jesus has through his life and ministry bound and then ultimately in his death Uh, put in prison uh, through his death, put in prison through his work on the cross. Jesus, through his life and ministry, had started that work of of plundering Satan and his house, and then ultimately through the cross, uh, he binds him. How was he doing that? That's a great question. What does it mean for Jesus to bind a Satan and to plunder him? If we don't know how Jesus did it, we probably won't do a very good job of doing it either. What we see taking place in the Gospels is that through his life, through his love for people, his forgiveness, his healing ministry, through literally casting out demons, Jesus was doing the work of binding Satan, of plundering his house. And then ultimately, he would complete that work through his work on the cross, disarming his enemies by refusing to use their weapons, by fighting uh, violence with love. You'll remember Dr. King said, and this is why he said it, Um, hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Dr. King said it because Jesus set us that example. It's through his sacrificial love, through his ultimate gift of self, that Jesus disarms his enemies and ultimately binds them. So if Satan has been bound, we know obviously that he clearly has not yet ultimately been defeated. 
We know that even from the book of Revelation because that's still to come, that moment when Satan is defeated. What I think John's trying to say to us in this passage is that there is a span of time between when Satan is bound and when he's ultimately destroyed. There's this delay. And we're now getting a peek into that delay. John's going to name it for us symbolically as a thousand years. This isn't a literal thousand years. In the Bible, in a number of places actually, um, a thousand years we're told, like you'll remember Peter says, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Uh, Peter was quoting from Psalm 90. It's the Bible's way of saying it's a significant amount of time and an important amount of time. And during this time we're meant to understand Satan is bound, but not yet uh, destroyed. And you may be thinking, that is so hard for me to even imagine or know what to do with. In what world is, is he bound? It certainly doesn't seem that way. Evil is everywhere. Look what's happening in Israel and Palestine. Look at what's happening in India and even uh, in your own life. And it's true. Spiritual opposition and the e evil in the world very much exists, is still very, very real. But I heard one pastor put it this way recently, and I really appreciated what he's saying. It's almost as if, however, Satan has been bound, put in prison, and the best he can do is, like, make phone calls. In warfare, if you want to quell a rebellion, if you want to defeat an enemy, you capture the leader, and then you just wait for the armies to dissolve. That's the implication. If I catch the leader, if he's in prison, well then pretty soon this rebellion falls apart. And I think in, to some degree, that's what John's trying to get us to hear as the church. Satan has in fact been captured. We don't have to wonder, is there still some final battle in which he could gain the victory or he could win? John's saying no. And in fact, he has already been defeated. Do you live like he's been defeated? That's the question. Or do you live as if you are the ones who are potentially about to be bound. He is bound. You are free. Does your life reflect that freedom? Such an important question. I sometimes feel like I hear people want to talk about um, the pervasiveness of evil, why bad things happen in the world. There's so much of it. And we rightly spend a lot of our time consumed by that thought. It's an important question to ask. Evil is certainly rightly deserving of our attention. But y'all, the church is also very real and alive and at work in the world. Sometimes I think we also need to be reminded, maybe we forget how real, alive, and true and powerful the Spirit is at work through the church. I think that's what John was trying to get us to hear you know, this thing, this thing started, our faith uh, in Nazareth, uh, there were a handful of ethnic Jews, the most insignificant people, arguably in the most insignificant place. And yet because of their faithfulness, even unto death, we, this wider church, have now been raised up, uh, in some way resurrected, as it were, to reign with Jesus. We're here. We're here against and in spite of all odds and the very serious hard work of an enemy to stamp us out. And yet, here we are. And I'm not just talking about us here in the States, y'all. There are Christians in places all over the world, the most influential of them, actually, in the places in the world where they ought to maybe least likely exist. In places like Iran and China, where Christians are facing the fiercest persecution and opposition. And yet, the church 
is not just there. It is growing. It is vibrant. It is alive. People are experiencing visions. They're coming to faith. They're seeing healings and miracles happen. The work of the Spirit is advancing in the world. And they don't have mega churches, and they don't have Christian radio, and they don't have anyone protecting their religious liberties. They have the Holy Spirit. They have each other. They have the leadership of Jesus because they are reigning with him. It's what John wanted the church around him to know in his day, and I believe it's what he wants us to know now. There are stories I wish I could tell that have been such an encouragement to, uh, to me coming out of the church in Iran in particular. God is doing such incredible things. And I think we're meant to be filled with a kind of spiritual envy. Um, if you feel discouraged and overwhelmed just with your life, not because you're experiencing necessarily any sort of spiritual persecution, it may be uh, it's the opposite of that. You feel pretty spiritually indifferent or lethargic. I think that this text is actually for you. That it has come to me and to you across all this time and space to remind us you are not bound. The Spirit of God in you is not bound. Your enemy is bound and you are free. Jesus has taken chains off of you and those same chains he has used to bind your enemy. The only question for me and you is, what am I going to do with this freedom that I've been given? What will I do with the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in me, who raised Jesus from the dead? And those are really important questions for us to ask. The Lord is ready. He is ready to call us to reign with him. There is so much work to do that he would like to do with us and through us. So I want to leave you with a couple of questions. Firstly, where are you most susceptible to the enemy's influence in your life right now? You have an enemy. Where do you feel vulnerable or susceptible? And number two, what would a less bound freer version of you be like? How would you be different? Spend some time reflecting on those on your own or with the people you happen to be uh, together worshiping with. The Lord be with you. Bless you and keep you. Lord Jesus, have mercy. Let's pray together. We'll see you next week. Come Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.